older men of our church are a huge blessing to us middle-aged and aging men. And uh, they are inspiration to us. We seek them out for counsel and advice all the time. And I want to, I want to advise our younger guys um, to constantly do that. Um, but with that being said, I'd ask Brother Robert Cochran if he would come. And uh, he's sort of a shepherd of our shepherds and uh, gives uh, wise counsel and really good jokes, by the way, um, to us. And uh, so I've asked him to come and share for a few minutes on Father's Day, um, just what's on his heart. And then I'll share a quick message with you this morning. Yes, sir. Okay, did everybody hear me all right? I just want to wish all you brethren a happy Father's Day, and God is so good to us. Uh, this morning, I'm going to take you back about a little over Recorded. 70 years ago. Recorded. I'm taking on a trip. Recorded. I want you to fashion your seatbelt now. <laughs> In Luke 19, it tells about the prodigal son. You're looking at it. Back in them days, I, I talked to a good friend of mine, and let's, let's run it away. He's with me this morning, so i got to keep this story straight. But anyhow, we, back in those days, beloved, you could go anywhere you wanted to with this. Or either the freight train. We didn't have too local, good luck with the freight train, but the, this would get you anywhere. This was before I came or any of these uh, interstates. It was just uh, old night. All right, we got to New Orleans. We don't like this fellow in, in Luke 19. We throw away what chain we had in slot machine. That's in one of the bandits. Now it's getting on late part of the day. We're getting hungry. I knew there was food on Mama's table. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Mm. <laughs> but anyhow, here we go back, coming back to Mobile. We got several rides. We got as far as Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Well, back in those days, there was a wooden bridge that went across the, the bay there, and we were afraid to cross that bridge, so we sit down under a big shade of an oak tree there. Here comes a 33-looking Chevrolet coupe, and I stuck my thumb out. He stopped. He said, where are you boys going? We're trying to get to Mobile. Come on. Beloved, he got us in that 33 Chevrolet, carried us to Gulfport, Mississippi, bought, went to the ticket office and bought us two tickets to Mobile and put mm. us on the bus. Mm. I turned around and he had his card. Arthur Hughes, box 419, Gulfport, Mississippi. Well, I came on home, threw the card back. 10 or 15 years later, after the Lord got a hold of me, I found that card. And I, listen, I believe in restitution if it's humanly possible. Mm. So I owe the man some money. So I said, Gene, let's go to Gulfport. Went down and found him. He was working, talked to his wife. Now, let me tell you this, Christian. The reason he was so good to us that, week, that particular night, he had just lost a son Oof. our age. And he was still showing the father's love mm. to runaways. Mm. God's grace is sufficient. I never will forget that. I got the card at home. Arthur Hughes, box 419, Gulfport, Mississippi. I'll never forget it. And I want to share one other thing with you today. Many years ago, I got a letter from my daughter. And I want to read it to you this morning. I asked, I asked, I said, Debbie, you don't mind me sharing it with you? She said, Dad, I don't, I don't mind telling you telling people how much I love you. But listen to this. It says, Dear Daddy, I bet you never thought you'd be getting a love letter from your own daughter. But I decided instead of spending money that I don't have on something for Father's Day that you don't need, I'll just tell you how much I love you. It's kind of hard to put on paper all the great things that's happened over the past years. All these wonderful memories are racing around in my head, and I remember, I remember how hard you worked so we could take a vacation. I remember how much fun we had coming home from church at night playing games. 
When I was a little girl, it seemed like I was always doing something wrong. And when I did that, it was really bad. Mama would make me wait until you got home for my punishment. Believe it or not, it was during those times I knew you really loved me and you would always talk to me very soft tone and explain why it is important to be right and wrong. Then instead of spanking me, you would hug me and tell me how much you love me. Well, I know it, and I said it then, and I'll say it now. I love you, too. We didn't get to get off by ourselves very much back in that time. But when we did, I was always so proud that you were my daddy. I remember the way you put your hand out on my shoulder as we walked along, and I felt so safe. I always know, Daddy, that uh, no one could be more proud of you, their father, than I am of you. I'm proud the way you raised me and your faith in God and your kindness to others and everything about you. I've, I'll just, I think um, I'll just list some of the things I remember and love about growing up as Deborah Cochran. She lists our dog, Commander, all those pictures you took of the movie of the kids and neighborhood kids, the dark clothes you used to wear, Friday night fights at the Gables house, Mm. McDonald's after church, homemade ice cream, biscuits and lima beans that Mama made. These are just a few things I remember growing up on my road, and I hope you have as much fun remembering these as I do. I love you. Happy Father's Day. Mm. Folks, mm. I wouldn't trade that letter for all the gold no, in no. Fort Knox. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. <laughs> world am I supposed to follow that? Amen, amen. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord on Father's Day and honor our Heavenly Father. Um, I got a hat. I didn't get a letter. I did get some letters, by the way. But I got a hat years ago from my kids that says, Four Star Dad. And uh, and I've kept this hat. I, I actually, uh, the first time, when I, when I first got it, I was... Uh, headed to the mission field, and I went to Romania, and I wore it for a whole week in Romania. I have a whole bunch of pictures of me wearing this hat, surrounded by Romanians at a campsite up in the Transylvania Mountains, and uh, they didn't understand what a four-star dad was, so I had to explain what a four-star general was and try to work backwards from there uh, to get to be a four-star dad, but I also had a shirt, had a t-shirt at the same time, and uh, I wore that shirt at camp, and it said, world's greatest dad. I said, now, if I don't ever meet this standard, I'm going to meet this one. I'm the world's greatest dad. And I remember having talks with those students around the campfires and, and throughout the days at camp uh, about what it meant to be a father. And my kids were all little at the time, and, and they had not been to Romania, and I was praying God would figure out a way to get us all there. And, and one year, we finally saved up enough money for everybody to go, and they got to see um, the famous Annette Givens that they'd heard all the stories about, and Joshua, Caleb, and Mary, and, and that was a, a long, long time, long trip for them, really hard for them, but it was a great opportunity uh, for me to share uh, with them about what it was like to be a father. Um, but I kept thinking about that shirt and even that hat. Um, I'm not the world's greatest dad. I'm not even in the running, probably, for that title, honestly. I'm um, not the world's greatest dad, and I, I'm glad that my family feels that way. Uh, but it's really not the truth, and, and especially when you compare it to our Heavenly Father. Um, there's a reality about our Heavenly Father that should drive us as men 
um, to be all the more that we can be for our families. And I want to just give you three of them today. I want to talk to you about, uh, maybe, maybe you're like me, you're just trying to work up to be an average dad now. I'm trying to meet the average deal, and uh, then we'll push forward. But I want us to, to look at the model of faith, or model in the scripture of our Heavenly Father, and give you three simple truths about it. And then I'm going to give you a challenge at the end. Um, and the first one is this. God, our Heavenly Father, has loved us with an everlasting love. It's one of the phrases of Scripture that I love so much. It's in the Psalms quite a bit. matter of fact, if you uh, do a word search sometime on your computer or your Bible or whatever, for everlasting love, and just look at how many times God says it to His people, um, how many times His people say it back to Him, you have loved us with an everlasting love. But you need to... Not go. It sounds. It's one of those phrases that sounds a little bit uh, over the top, and it's, it's a nice little Bible phrase. You know, he's loved us with an everlasting love. Everybody knows that. Um, but when you just stop and think about what that actually means, uh, it's a magnificent picture of God saying, "From before time began, till after time is done, I have always and will always love you." With God's love, not man's love, God's love. There is an everlasting love. It will never stop. It will never stop. I've worked with a lot of students in my lifetime, a lot of uh, students whose parents, for one reason or another, uh, divorce, and there's family separations and issues. And I've worked with a lot of families uh, whose children were not well loved by their parents. And uh, the parents did not love well, and one parent or another may have actually abandoned the family. There's just no love there, and it just doesn't even register in my head how that could possibly be. I couldn't imagine uh, doing that with my family, no matter what the issues were. There's no way I would ever not support and love them. But there are people who can just disconnect and not do that. Now, if anybody had the ability to disconnect from loving us, it would be God, our Heavenly Father, because He is holy. The Bible says he's holy, pure and holy. And he says he cannot have fellowship or relationship with unrighteousness or sin. And that's all we are apart from Christ redeeming us. That's all we are. So he could have disconnected from us a long time ago, but he says, I love you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31. And uh, if you want to turn there, it's a great passage to mark in your Bibles. And uh, Cody and I have this conversation regularly, but highly recommend you have a physical Bible with you, not just the... I like the... Uh, apps on my phone, my Bible apps on my phone, and my tablets and computer stuff, and I've got all kinds of digital stuff. I've had it for years. Um, I used to have an old Palm Pilot that you could get the Bible on way before anybody believed you could do any of that. Um, but but I want to tell you something: a physical Bible, uh, you can underline and write notes out in the margin and give it to your family as a heritage later, uh, and it has great meaning. So. Um, plus, it's just good sometimes to have that physical Bible in front of you. So, just recommending to you to do that at some point. Jeremiah 31, and verse 1 says these words. It's the prophet Jeremiah. He says, At that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. This is after Israel has sinned, 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 sinned. Messed up and messed up again and again. And God says, I will be their God of all the families. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword and found grace in the wilderness, uh, Israel, when it went to find its rest. The Lord has appeared to him from afar saying these words, I have loved you with an everlasting love, 
Therefore, I have drawn you with my loving kindness. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you to me with an everlasting, with a loving kindness. That Greek word in the Old, or that Hebrew word in the Old Testament, loving kindness, is the word in the Hebrew that's so powerful in its essence of what it means to have a relational love for somebody and a deep love for somebody that they can't use one English word. It has to be love and kindness. Loving kindness. And, and, uh, and the writer, uh, uh, the prophet Jeremiah says, God spoke to him and said, I have loved you with everlasting love and I have drawn you in with this loving kindness. It's the word grace. Loving kindness and grace go really side by side as, as words you can interpret from that, the Hebrew word. So he says, I've drawn you in with my grace. Grace means I love you in spite of yourself. No matter how bad you mess up, no matter how many sins are in your life, I will still continue to love you. So God our Father has loved us with an everlasting love. There's an example to set for your family. Tell your children all the time, I just love you. Always will, never will stop loving you. Tell your spouse, I've loved you. Always will, never will stop loving you. You can't do anything. If you can show that kind of love into your family, if you can translate... God's love into your family, you will have one of the strongest families ever because it's grace and it's how God builds His family and it's how He builds security into us. There's never a time in your life, there's never been a time in your life when God didn't love you. And there will never be a time when God doesn't love you. You want to give hope to somebody at your workplace that's going through a bad time, that's made a huge mess out of life, kind of ruined a bunch of stuff. I counsel with a guy not too long ago, and he's just made a mess of a mess. And then he took the mess and he stirred it up and made a bigger mess. And then he took that mess and he made a bigger mess. And he got all kinds of people mad at him. I mean, everybody mad at him. And then he called me finally. It's like, I right, need a little grace, don't you? Oh, yeah, man, I need some grace. I'm in trouble. And we sat down and we talked and we had to confess sins. We had to acknowledge sins. We had to confront some sins. We had to, we had to restore and do some restoration. We had to go back and try to fix some things. But at the end of the day... I told him, I said, God's love for you never changed through that whole time when you were just, just terrorizing sin. God's love never changed for you, and it never, ever will. Now, there's some security you can have. doesn't give you permission to sin. Hear me, doesn't give us permission to sin. You know, it gives us the responsibility to do, to fall in love with a God that says, it's okay. Whatever you've done and wherever you've been, I will still be your Father, and I'm still going to love you. God, our Father, has loved us with an everlasting love. Then secondly, I want you to know that God our Father will never stop pursuing us. Even when we're wayward and lost. And this is powerful. He will never stop pursuing us. In the book of Genesis, you guys know the story really well. God says to Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 2, of the fruit of this garden, and he says these words, 2.16, you can freely eat. A lot of uh, critics of the scriptures and of God and people who don't understand God say, well, God's a cruel God to put that, uh, that one tree in the garden. He's, he's just a cruel God. He gave them no freedom. He didn't read the Bible very clearly. God gave them tons of freedom in the garden. Then he put the one tree, he says, now look, don't eat of this one. Of the, of the whole garden, you can freely eat. Just don't eat this one tree. Of course, Adam and Eve fall to sin in chapter 3. Uh, the serpent comes in and deceives Eve. And then Adam just, duh, willfully disobediently, without even any question. He didn't have any conversation with a serpent, didn't ask the woman any questions. He just stupidly, 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 welcome to the man's world, (laughs) stupidly ate. And 
So, so here's, here's Adam and Eve in tremendous sin now. And here's the rule. Here's God's law. It says, God has laws of the universe. I'll teach this at camp. God has laws of the universe, just like you and I understand the laws of physics and, and all that. Kurt's uh, getting ready to start a, a science class, uh, a Sunday school class based on his, uh, he's going to be a mad scientist as a teacher. And he's got all these great principles of, of science that, that illustrate truths of the Bible. And he's going to use laws of God, laws of the universe to illustrate laws of God. Um, gravity is just gravity. No matter where you are, gravity is gravity. You slip off a roof, you're going to the ground. You stumble and fall, you're going to the ground. Gravity is gravity. It's a law of the universe. Well, God has other laws, spiritual laws. One of them is, and he told Adam and Eve this, when you sin, you will surely die. If you disobey me, you're going to die. And what that meant was, you're going to be separated from me forever. Now, I want to ask you something. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, and God shows up in the garden to walk with them, did he kill them? You know what he did? He sought them out. He actually called for them. They weren't where they were supposed to be. Remember they were hiding original mossy oak. They got uh, camo leaves and put them on themselves and hid in a bush. And, uh, and they're hiding in a bush that God made, in a garden that God made, in an earth that God made, in a universe that God made, and like God's not going to find them. And God calls to them, though, and he says, where are you? You know why? Same principle we talked about last week. God is a seeker of those who are lost. Those who have sinned, it, it hurts God's heart, but he still seeks after that. And he seeks after his creation, Adam and Eve, whom he loves very much. And he pursues them, and he actually, besides having to judge them in their sin, he creates a path of redemption for them because he is a God full of grace. And he never stops pursuing people that are in sin. The law was you sin, you die. Just that simple. You sin, you die. That's not what happened, though. God said, hey, before you actually um, taste the judgment that goes with death, I'm going to explain to you the redemptive plan, and I'm going to seek you out and find you first. I'm going to help you get through all this. And so Adam and Eve had this pursuing, loving God. In Ezekiel 34, uh, I'm going to turn there in the Old Testament. I want to read that one to you. And... and uh, you have to remember some of the stuff we've been talking about, how Jesus relates to, to different people, but how he seeks out uh, these sinners and, and the guys get all upset with him. But Ezekiel 34, 36, 34. Here's what the Lord says, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. God says, when the storms come and scatter my sheep, I'm a seeker of sheep. I go get my lost. I go get my prodigals. Here's Robert Cochran saying, you know, he went through that prodigal challenge like in Luke chapter 15. Uh, Brandon Ezel, who's with his family in Albany today. Brandon Ezel's prodigal son. Prodigal. My brother Mark was a prodigal, far from God. And God had to call us all back to himself. God says in Ezekiel, I will seek out my sheep. When the storms of life scatter you, I will seek you out. And I will bring them uh, out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and all the inhabitant places. 
They will feed in a good pasture, he says in verse 14. Uh, verse 15, I will feed my flock and lead them to rest. Verse 15 is a great promise, by the way. And then 16, he says, I will seek the lost and bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, strengthen the sick. And, and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of all of my sheep. If they've, if they've gotten lost and broken, I'm going to mend them. If they've gotten lost and wounded, I'm going to heal them and help them because he's a seeker of loss and he never stops pursuing us. I'm just going to ask a show of hands because I, I think we have a room full of honest, vulnerable Christians today. Um, I know all, almost all of your stories, so don't try to make something up today. Don't be, you know, Joe spiritual today. Let's just be real. How many of you have been lost apart from God, even after your faith, even after you declared yourself to be a Christian, you've been lost apart from God and God's had to seek you out and heal up your wounds and get you back to Him. How many of you? Look around the room. Everybody look around. Man, there's a room full of lost, wandering sheep, aren't we? Praise God for what He's done for us. That He is a seeker. And you can promise the people that you know, please don't keep these things a secret for yourself. You can promise the people you know, God loves us with an everlasting love, and He pursues you even when you're in sin. He doesn't stop pursuing you. And then the last one is, God our Father has a love that covers a multitude of sins. A multitude of sins. We'll start with Psalm 85. The love of your Heavenly Father covers a multitude of sins. Psalm 85 verse 1 says, O Lord, Thou didst show Thy favor to the land. Thou didst restore the captivity. Uh, restore the captivity of Jacob. Thou didst forgive the iniquities of Thy people. You covered all their sins. This is a song. This is a song that was meant to be sung uh, by the choirs of Israel at the temple. And here's what they would sing. God, you have forgiven us and you have covered all of our sins. That's what a good father does. You know, I know a bunch of us as fathers have worked through the sins of our children and helped cover them and protect them and help them in it and try to rescue them out of it. But it's what our Heavenly Father does best because His covering is not just temporary. His covering comes with the promise that His Son will take our sins to the cross and once and for all, your sins are paid for and your sins are, the Bible says in, Psalm, in, uh, in uh, the Psalm, it says they're, buried, they're as far as the east is from the west um, and they're buried in the deepest sea. Your sins cannot be found anymore because God covered them through Jesus Christ. Here's what a good father does. He covers all our sins. All of our sins. A multitude of sins. Now I want you to look at, as we close, in Romans chapter 3. Just a quick New Testament reference. It's interesting when you study the family of God. God, our Heavenly Father, and the family of God. Every child in the family of God, every one of us is His creation, is a sinner. An unrighteous sinner. Every one of us has sinned against the Lord. Uh, Romans 3.23 says there is none righteous, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6 says there's none, or 3.10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. Not one person in this room is righteous or good before our Heavenly Father, not one. And yet, He has found a way to say, I can make you, even in your sin, 
righteous. Not of your own strength. You cannot make yourself holy or righteous by yourself. You need a mighty work of God to do that. But He's found a way to do that for us. And I want you to look at Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified, talking to Paul talking to the Roman Christians now, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. God displayed publicly um, as uh, Christ taking on our sin and covering our sin for us. He has displayed publicly Christ as a propitiation in, uh, in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over uh, previous sin. He passed over the sins previously committed. And he's saying in the Old Testament there was an offering that was offered up to the temple that was temporary. There was these temporary, we sacrifice sheep once a year as a family and it covered your sins for a year and then you come do that again. But here's Christ saying his blood is once for all, paying for it all. I will pay for, I will cover all of your sins now. Aren't you glad we have a heavenly father and his son who says, I will cover all your sins. You do not have to live in the shame and the guilt of your sins because we have the truth about our Father is he loves us with an everlasting love. His love never stops pursuing us. God will never stop pursuing you. And you can tell your uh, friends that you know that are running from God. Most of us have friends that are running from God. For one reason or another, they're, you know, going to get away from the spiritual life and get away from things of God and they're going to do their own thing. They don't need God or whatever. Most of us know folks like that. But here is God. Uh, here's a promise of God. He never stops pursuing us. He never stops. Now that person has to stop at some point and turn and repent. He has to turn and face God. Like the prodigal son, he has to get in the middle of all the pea pods uh, in the middle of a... Uh, I called it... I, taught a series one time called Pig Pen Theology. Some of y'all go way back and can remember when I taught on that. Pig Pen Theology. And uh, there's a lot of theology in that pig pen. Uh, in Luke chapter 15 where the prodigal son has squandered his living, gone away from home, squandered a third of his dad's uh, money on uh, crazy living and the economy crashed and now he's literally slopping pigs. He's a Jewish boy slopping pigs. And uh, pigs were unrighteous deals. Pig, pigs were terrible to be around. If you were a uh, a Jew, you weren't allowed to touch them, to eat them, to smell them, to nothing. And here's a guy in a, in a pig pen slopping pigs. And so hungry that the food of the unrighteous pigs looked good to him. The unrighteous food made him hungry. That's something. We get there sometimes. You have friends, I have friends that have squandered their life away like that. And they're wallowing in all of that. But you know what the repentant moment was for him? When it clicked in his head. Bottom of the barrel. Pig pen theology. It clicked in his head and he said, You know what? My father's servants eat better than me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my father, I have sinned against you and the family. And I don't even want to be a son anymore. I just want to be a servant. But you know what? A God who has an everlasting love for his son. You know what? A God who has... Uh, a God who has never stop pursuing his son and a God who has a love that covers a multitude of his sins does and in Luke 15 it's a picture of the father actually you know what that father does when the son comes home he doesn't even let him finish his sentence he doesn't even let him finish his sentence 
before the son can ever say, I just want to be a servant, he goes, whoa, we need a new ring for you. We need a brand new robe. We need to kill the fatted calf. We need to just build up your, you're fixing to have the biggest party ever because my son who was lost is home now. You are not a slave in my house. You are my son. That's what everlasting love looks like. He doesn't let us come back as slaves when we're prodigals. All the people you know that are running from God, they're not, they don't have to come back as slaves to God. They come back as his sons, honored by God, cherished by God, celebrated by God. That's what we can tell a lost and dying world about our God. It's an everlasting love. He's never going to stop pursuing you, and it covers a multitude of sins. Now, I want to say to our dads today, just in closing, the greatest one thing that any father could do for his children is to tell them about the greatest father of all. That's the greatest thing you can ever do for your children or your grandchildren. Is tell them about the greatest father of all. You want to leave something to your children? You want to mean something to your children? Tell them about that love right there. Because you'll never meet that standard. I'll never be that good as a father. But my heavenly father can father my children and love my children. So the greatest thing all of us as dads can do, as men, is to tell them, make sure they know. We're supposed to model it. We really are. It's hard. We're supposed to model that love. But you've got to tell them about it. You've got to tell them all the time about God's permanent, beautiful, eternal, everlasting, covering all of our sins, grace-based love. And that's what I want to challenge you to. I want to say to you as we close, God loves every one of us. And everybody here that I see, that I recognize, um, He's our Heavenly Father today. But you know, there are people that don't have Him as a Heavenly Father. He's not a Father of all. You have to trust Jesus as your Savior for Him to be your Heavenly Father. You have to trust Jesus as your Savior for Him to be your Father. And there are people, there are people who aren't His child today. Sad to me. It's sad to me to, to be in a, uh, I've been at a funeral, a couple of funerals where I just watched people, just recently went to one, I just watched people that I knew had no clue who God was. No clue. And they were not connected to what a heavenly father could do in that moment of comfort and peace and love. They were distraught. And they were just bland. I was like, wow, you're missing so much. But they didn't have a heavenly father. So not everybody you know has the same truths you have. You know what that makes our responsibility as a body of Christ? We have to tell others. We have to make an effort to tell others. And our responsibility is to tell people about this, this beautiful, perfect, awesome, awesome love. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads together.